thankful for this precious opportunity that God's given us to meet together here in his house. It's good to see each one of you. Uh, most of all, we hope we have the presence of our Lord and Master, our Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ. If you have your Bible with you this morning, you'd like to read along with us. And I want to encourage you to bring your Bible every Sunday to the house of God. Uh, church is a good place to bring your Bible. You know, sometimes it's just good to have a book in your hand to, to check the preacher and make sure he's, he's saying the right thing. And no man of God that's honest is, uh, is beyond any criticism in his own conscience even. Um, a man of God that wants to be true, he wants to be tested. He wants people to go to the word of God and, and put him up by the, the measuring rule to see if he's right. Turn with me to the first epistle of John, chapter 4. We want to read just two verses, verses 10 and 11. The subject that's on our heart this morning is the subject of love. And before we begin to consider the, the subject of love and, and what the Bible has to say about it, I want us to consider the doctrinal fact of love. And then afterward, let's consider the experiential application and what we're called on to be as children of God concerning love. 1 John chapter 4, verse 10, John said, herein is love. John is basically saying, let me, let me tell you something about love. Let me show you real love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation of which literally means the full atonement covering. The satisfaction for sins. For our sins. In verse 11 he says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. Those two verses teach us those two things we mentioned. The doctrinal fact, the principle of God's love. He loved us. Not that we love God, but he loved us. And also the experiential application, exhortation. If God so loved us, we've got this hope and knowledge in our heart that God loved us. We should be exhorted to love one another. The way... The Apostle John did that in those two verses is, is common throughout Scripture. If you recall in the book of Ephesians, six chapters in the book of Ephesians, the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians, the Apostle Paul labors concerning doctrinal principle, fact. God, before the foundation of the world, loved us and chose us. Gave us to his son. A number that no man could number. A seed as the stars of heaven. Sand of the seashore. The dust of the earth. Predestinate us to be with him in glory one day. And those that were chosen. Predestinated. Chapter 2 he said it's the Holy Spirit. By the direct work of God. Puts that salvation we have in Christ Jesus in us. So that we are bodily saved. God does that. Why? Because he loves us. The motivation for God's grace is God's love. God loved us. 
Not that we were lovable, just God loved us. You go to Ephesians chapter 4, it's a little different. The Apostle Paul begins to labor to motivate the church at Ephesus, us who read to walk in such a way to show our love for the Lord. What worthy, he would say, of the vocation wherewith you're called. The word worthy there is teaching us a balance. You know, the Bible says the workman is worthy of his hire. If we believe God loved us before the world began, that he sent his son into the world to die for us on the cross of Calvary, we should long to live in such a way to show the world we appreciate this love of God. What worthy. He would go on in the, the book of Ephesians to teach us to walk in love, to walk circumspectly, to walk as children of light. So when we read those six chapters, we see doctrinal fact, principle, exhortation, experiential application. The Apostle Paul, when he wrote to Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9 and 10, he does the same thing. Praising the Lord who saved us and called us with a holy calling. The next verse, motivating to tell this truth, to show the world, to be a light in this dark world. The book of Colossians, same way. The Apostle Paul labors concerning doctrinal principle. And I love the verse there in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 10, which reads, We are complete in Him. What is that saying? That means concerning our eternal home and what we have in heaven, it is done. God did the work. God has loved us. God has paid for our sins and he's prepared a place for us that we will be one day. We're complete in him. Our eternal salvation is in God plus nothing. And the same people he would write that to. Chapter 3 and verse 1, if you then be risen with Christ, what is he saying? If you're born again children of God, if you believe you're a child of God, if you believe that the Lord died for you on the cross, seek those things which are above. Experiential application, exhortation. When we consider the subject of love, the Bible teaches us much about the love of God and His love for us as His children. And the Bible also teaches us about the children of God, we and how we should love one another. And how we should love God's truth. How we should love God's word. Love God's church. If God would be our helper and bless us this morning, I want to first consider God's love for us. What the Bible has to teach, has to say about that. And also how the Bible exhorts us as his children, how we should behave in this world. First of all, let's consider God's love. John said, herein is love, not that we love God, but that God loved us. God loved us. What does the Bible teach us about God's love? You know, when you consider God's love, the first thing that comes to my mind concerning God's love is God's love was not something sought or desired by man. John said, herein is love, not that we love God. Why would John say here in his love, we love God, but God loved us more? No, that's not the way it reads. Mm -mm. Here in his love, not that we love God, but that he loved us. Why would John say that? Because the Bible teaches us clearly 
that without God's love being in us, we do not seek God's love. We do not desire God's love. There's a verse found in the book of Psalms, chapter 10 and verse 4, and it says, The wicked, through the pride of his countenance, will not seek after God. God is not in all of his thoughts. What is that verse teaching? That verse is teaching a man that doesn't have God in him is not seeking after God. He's not seeking God's love. Matter of fact, that person in his mind and in his heart, he's sufficient in himself. He doesn't need God. Do you remember the text there in Psalms chapter 14 and verse 1? The fool, and the fool there is referring to someone that doesn't have God in him. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. You know, that language is saying, the fool, the wicked man is saying, no God for me, I don't need him. The Bible teaches us in John chapter 5 and verse 40, Jesus said this, he said, you will not come to me that you might have life. You will not. Jesus told some wicked people there that day when he spoke, you will not. And there's no way that man can convince natural man, wicked man, that he needs God's love, that he should seek God's love. It's it's not going to happen. It's beyond his ability. And not only that, he's not willing to do so. Romans chapter 5 and verse 10, natural man before he's born again, wicked man without God, he's the enemy of God. Do you recall there in Romans chapter 8 and verse 7? The carnal man is at enmity with God. He's complete opposite with God. So natural man, wicked man, he's not seeking God's love. He doesn't want it. He doesn't need it. But not only is God's love unsought and undesired by man, it's unmerited and undeserved. If God has loved us, we haven't earned God's love. You know, that's really a statement that's contrary to what's being taught in the world today. You know, the world teaches today that, you know, we're we're somebody special. You're a very special person. You know, the world today, all the information is all about self. It's all about you. The Bible teaches something very different. The Bible teaches us about an almighty creator, God, and man, without God, he's nothing. He's nothing and less than nothing. Dear child of God, I'd like for you to consider just what you would look like in the eyes of God. Consider this. The Bible says in Psalm chapter 8 and verse 3, when we consider the heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon, the stars, the stars ordained, what is man? Do you realize this universe, when at night, when you, I know it's cloudy now, but when it's clear, you look out at all the stars and the moon. You know, God did that just with his fingers. Just with his fingers. You know, all those stars there, he just... Put them there in their place. I had a man ask me once, you know, why, why are those stars there? I said, God just put them there for his little children to look at at night. That's how much he loves you. <laughs> God just put them there. You know, that, that sun, when you see it, you know, they, they say that sun is 92 to 94 million miles away from the earth. I don't really know. I'm just taking their word for it. <laughs> I haven't traveled that far. That is a long way away. What about the moon? Is, is the moon is like 230,000 miles away from there. That's a long way. You know, there's stars out here that you see at night. They're light years away. You know, light travels at 186,000 miles per second. Wow, that's quick. 
A light year is something traveling that fast, it would take a year for it to travel that distance. Do you realize a star could go out today at that distance and it would be a year before you actually saw it from your perspective go out? (laughs) That's a long way away. God just did that with his fingers. Now, don't you think about that. God did that with his fingers and just how big you actually look to God. Someone says, I'll tell you what, I, I look like a little fire ant in, in a man's sight. Uh, I think it's a little further than that. And man thinks he can just do something to get God's attention. Here I am. If I recall there in Genesis chapter 10, men got together to make a name for themselves and they built a tower of Babel. And we'll get God's attention. God just stuck his finger in and fixed that. God wasn't impressed. We have not done anything to deserve God's love. Now, my parents growing up, Marvin and Faye Loudermilk, I had days when they was proud of me. I'd do the right thing. I'd do something good. Yeah, I've, I've said this many times. My daddy used to have a little saying, when I do something good, he'd say, that's my boy. When I do something wrong, he says, you know, he took a lot after his mama's folks. <laughs> But you know, concerning me in the sight of God, without God's grace in my heart, there is no good works. How could I deserve God's love when without God in me, I cannot do good? How many times does the Bible have to tell us that without God in us, there's none that doeth good, no, not one, for us to believe it? Without God in us, there is none that doeth good, and to make sure you get the point, no, not one. One. Now the Lord's eyes are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. If there was one that was able to do good, one that did good, I think God would know about it. But God said there's none. Without him being in our heart, there's none that doeth good, no, not one. Psalms 14, verses 1 through 3. Psalms 53, verses 1 through 3. Romans chapter 3, verses 9 through 12. Ecclesiastes chapter 7 and verse 21, there's not a just man upon earth that doeth good and sinneth not. How many times does the Bible have to to tell us that for us to get the point? One time should be sufficient. But if there's none that doeth good, how could we deserve and earn merit God's love? No, we have not. Man hasn't looked for it. We didn't sought for it. We hadn't deserved it. God's love. God's love is also sovereign. I'll use this word. God's love is discriminating. God loves whom he pleases. And he never has to apologize to anyone else. See, God doesn't owe us anything to love any of us. Brothers and sisters, if God just loved one person, one person, one If it was just Adam, if God loved Adam and sent his son into the world to die for just Adam on the cross, God is a merciful God. He did not have to do that. God is sovereign. God is on the throne. God is the ruler of the universe. And God never has to apologize to anyone. But I will declare to you by the truth of Scripture... God's people that he loved before the foundation of the world are a number that no man could number. As the sand of the seashore, 
as the stars of heaven and as the dust of the earth. And I want to tell you this, the primitive Baptists and what we've stood for through the years, there's only one group that believes there's going to be more in heaven than the primitive Baptists, and that's the universalists. The universalists believes everybody go to heaven. We don't believe that, but we believe there's more going to be in heaven than any other religious group on earth. Because I believe God's got a big family. I believe heaven's a big place. And heaven is a big place, and there's going to be a lot in heaven, not because we look for God's love, not because we earn God's love, but because a sovereign God, by His will, chose us and loved us before the foundation of the world. And because He loved us, John said He sent His Son into the world to be the propitiation for our sins. Romans chapter 9, verses 11 through 13, if you'd like to turn there with me. My mom's dad argued with me one time about this subject of God's sovereignty and love. And I turned his Bible to this verse of Scripture, and he said, You know, Ronnie, I didn't even know that was in the Bible. Isn't it amazing how someone could read the Bible their entire life and never know some things are taught. That they're there in the Bible. The Apostle Paul here in Romans chapter 9 in teaching this principle of God's sovereignty. A person come to me once and they said, you know, I just don't like the way that's, that's read right there. Well, I'm going to tell you, Romans chapter 9 is the way God runs his universe. If you don't like the way God runs his universe, go build a universe of your own. Well, I can't do that. Well, I guess you have to live in this one. And this is the way God runs his universe. If you notice with me in verse 11, the Apostle Paul is referring to two children. These two children were the children of Rebekah and Isaac. He says, For the children being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him that calleth. It was said unto her, The elder shall serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob have I loved, and Esau have I hated. No, that's not the way it reads. Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. What is that teaching, Brother Ronnie? That's teaching God's sovereignty concerning his love. I talked to a person once, and he told me, he said, Well, all that text is saying is God loved Jacob a little more than he loved Esau. You know, that same person right before he said that told me that God loved everybody the same. God loves everybody the same. I said, well, you just told me he loved everybody the same, but now you're telling me he loves one a little more than the other? I said, you know, if the conjunction word and would have been used in that verse, I could see that. The word and would join things of similar or equal values. You know, I walked out the door and the deacon brethren followed me. We're all going in the same direction. But if I say I walked out the door and the deacon brethren stayed in the house, I'm going to have to qualify that because that's not the same direction. The best sentence structure would be, I walked out the door, but the deacon brethren stayed in the house. When we read a verse that says, but, we're referring to two things being in opposite directions. God loved Jacob, but he hated Esau. What does that say? He did not love Esau is what it's saying. Brother Ronnie, I can't believe that. That's amazing that he hated Esau. I don't find it so amazing that he hated Esau. Matter of fact, if you go read the book of Genesis, Jacob gave him enough reason to hate him. I'll 
I'll tell you, I've done enough that God would hate me. The amazing part of this verse is that he, he loved Jacob. God loved Jacob. But he hated Esau. What is that saying? God's sovereign love is on display here in this verse. Verse 14, what shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? Well, that God can't be righteous if he does that. Paul said, God forbid. He's God. God is God and does as he pleases. For he saith to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then it's not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. That's what it's about. God is the sovereign ruler of the universe. You know, most people that would challenge eternal salvation by God's grace and grace alone, their biggest challenge is against God's sovereignty, that God is God. That God could love someone and not love another. I stand before you this morning just thankful that I've got a hope that he loved me. <laughs> I didn't deserve that. You know, David said in Psalms 115, verse 3, But our God is in the heavens, he hath done whatsoever he hath pleased. David believed in God's sovereignty. Daniel, Daniel chapter 4, verse 35, he believed in God's sovereignty. Job, he believed in God's sovereignty. Job chapter 23 and verse, verse 12, concerning God's sovereignty, he does as he pleases. And I want to tell you this morning, I believe in God's sovereignty. And his love is sovereign. He loves whom he pleases. So God's love is not sought by man. God's love is not deserved by man. God's love is sovereign. He loves whom he pleases. Here's some good news. God's love is everlasting and it doesn't change. I want to tell you, brothers and sisters, if you've got a hope in your heart that God loved you, and if you've shown any evidence of the Spirit in your life that God loves you, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, goodness, gentleness, faith, meekness, and temperance. If you've shown forth any of that, it's evidence that God's love is in you and he loved you before the foundation of the world. I would declare to you by the truth of Scripture that that love will not change. Never, ever, ever. You'd say, Amen. That love that we haven't sought for, that love we haven't deserved, that love that's sovereign, it will not change. There's nothing we can do in our life to change that. You say, Brother Ronnie, you don't know what I've done. I have sinned against God. If you feel that you've sinned against God, it is evidence that he loved you. And praise God, that love is not going to change. Now, we change. People in this world change. We're not constant. We're like a bunch of variables. But God does not change. The Bible says, I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore, you sons of Jacob are not consumed. If it was all based on my works and what I've done, I'd be consumed. But the book of Malachi, chapter 3 and verse 6, teaches us, I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore, you sons of Jacob are not consumed. And I'll tell you, brothers and sisters, there's nothing that we can do to change God's mind about him loving us. What about a man named Jeremiah? Jeremiah, chapter 31 and verse 3 the Lord appeared of old unto him and said, I have loved thee sometimes when you're good and sometimes when you're bad. Mm -mm. I have loved thee with an everlasting love. The Apostle Paul declares to us in Romans chapter 8, verse 35 through 39, that nothing can separate us from the love of God. There's a man in the Old Testament, his name was Lot. That man named Lot was blessed by the Lord. Had great relatives, men of faith, Abraham. But man, he failed the Lord. He lifted up his eyes toward the plain of Sodom and saw it was well watered ever to it. 
Well watered everywhere, and he began to walk away from God. He traveled away from God, pitched his tent towards Sodom. Got himself entangled with all the sins of Sodom and Gomorrah. The Lord sent two angels. Do you recall the Lord sent those two angels down there? Sodom and Gomorrah is going to be destroyed. Sent two angels down there to bring him out. And wow, Lot had respect, but not all that much respect. He wanted to be his way. You know, here's the city over here, Zohar. Let me go over here and dwell. God said, no. You know, it seemed like Lot would have got the point at some moment in his life. No, he just... You know, Lot's life, you know how Lot ended his life? In an incestuous relationship with his daughters in a cave. I mean, this man that was blessed of the Lord, enjoyed fellowship with children of God in this life, ends his life in, in such a way, and you'd say, I bet he is in hell. Not according to Scripture. I go to 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 7 and 8. The Bible calls him a just and righteous man. Lot didn't please God with his life, but God loved Lot. And his life did not change God's love for him. Isn't that good news? His life did not change God's love for him. So when we fail God... We get discouraged, we get down and out, but isn't it a sweet comfort to know God's not going to fail you? The foundation of God, stand as sure, Paul would say in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 19. Stand as sure, who's going to shake that foundation? Jesus said, my Father, which is greater than all, has given me my sheep, and no man is able to pluck them out of my hand. Why? He loves us, he loves us. And God has shown us that he loves us. That love that hasn't been sought for by us, that hadn't been deserved by us, it's a sovereign love that's everlasting. He has shown us he loved us. John says this. Because he loved us, his son came in the world and gave his life for us on the cross of Calvary. If you want to know about God's love, look at the cross. The Prince of Peace. The one that did no wrong. The one that did everything right, that kept the law to a jot and a tittle. Crossed all the T's, dotted all the I's. Pontius Pilate said, I could find in him no fault at all. The one that did no wrong suffered for your sin on the cross of Calvary. You know the reason Jesus' back was whipped to ribbons? Psalms 129 verse 3, the plowers have plowed upon my back. They made long their furrows. Wow, I tell you what, that's a whipping. The furrows of a garden going down his back. You know why? Because we turned our back on God. They blindfolded the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, can you imagine blindfolding God? But they blindfolded him. Why? Because we sinned and blinded ourselves. Man sinned against God and brought a curse, and therefore the earth brought thorns and thistles. Have you ever noticed you don't have to plant thorns and thistles? I remember I talked to a preacher up in Virginia one time. He said, I got a, got a barn over here. We're going to tear it down. And under there, it's this ground that ain't been planted in a long time. He said, but that, that's going to be some good land for a garden. He said, after we tore it down, it's just a few weeks. There's already a bunch of weeds growing up in it. Thorns and thistles. Why do those thorns and thistles come up? Because of sin. What did Jesus bear? They put upon him a crown of thorns. They took a reed and drove it down on his head. 
They drove nails through his hands and feet. Why? Because with the works of our hands, we have failed God. With our feet, we've not walked in the right way. They spat upon him. The Bible says his vision is so marred more than any man. It's far more than the sons of men. Why did Jesus suffer that? He said, I could call down 12 legions of angels. That would destroy the world. But he suffered it. Why did he suffer it? Because he loves you. That's why. He has shown us that he loves us in the way he cares for us in our lives. Can you just look back in your life, dear child of God, and see how the Lord had just has cared for you? Move things out of the way that could have hindered you. Protected you in times of need. Give to you when you, you, you didn't think you'd have. God done it for you. God has cared for his children. Gave his life on the cross. He cared for us. He showed us he loved us. And the God that has loved us, his children, in such a way we haven't deserved, we haven't sought for. The sovereign, he calls on us to show our love to him. Do you know if we've got love in our hearts for God, it's evidence he first loved us. Back there in 1 John chapter 4, verse 19, we love him because he first loved us. What is John saying? We only loved him because he first loved us. And if we love God, it's because he first loved us. If we love God, it's because he first loved us and he's put his love in us. Therefore, we're able to love God. And if you love God, it's evidence that God loved you. And as Elder Danny Wisner would say, oh, you're going to heaven one day. Do you know this morning, I cannot, I cannot teach you to love God. But I can take scripture and teach you how to show your love for God. I cannot put the love of God in your heart. We're taught of God to love. God with his very finger has touched your heart that you'd love him and love his children. But the Bible teaches us, his children, how to show that love. I need to be taught how to show love. You know, my daddy growing up, my little brother and I, my daddy never had to teach us how to fight. I mean, my... (laughs) My papa said, me and David come out of the womb fighting. But boy, my daddy worked hard on teaching us how to get along. Yeah, I remember one time my daddy gave me, a, gave me a whipping. And he told me, he said, son, I'm not whipping you to love you. He said, I love you. He said, I'm just whipping you that other people can put up with you. The exhortation, the correction of Scripture is for us as God's children that we would be able to show, know how to show forth the love of God in our lives, to live in such a way that we would not bring reproach against the Lord or His church. Turn with me to Psalms chapter 97 and verse 10. One way that we show forth the love of God in our lives, dear children of God. David said in Psalms 97 verse 10, Ye that love the Lord... Ye that love him, hate evil. Whew, that's strong, isn't it? Ye that love the Lord, hate evil. If we love God, we should hate evil. David is not giving any room for compromise and being apathetic here. No, he said, ye that love the Lord, hate evil. There's things in this world that are completely contrary to God. There is a real devil 
there is real evil in this world, and if we love God, we should not stand with it, but against it. Against it. You remember the church at Ephesus, Revelation chapter 2? The Lord commended them because they hated the deeds of the Nicolaitans, he said, of which deed he also hated. God commended them for that. They did not walk with those deeds. They did not compromise with those deeds. They were not apathetic toward those deeds. They hated those deeds. You know, we have sin in our life. We should hate the sin of our life. Ye that love the Lord, hate evil. There's evil in this world that we should not agree with. There's evil in this world we should not compromise with. Not in our household, not in our lives, not in the church. And by doing that, we're showing forth our love for God. Do you remember the church at Laodicea? What was, what was the thing about the church at Laodicea? They were lukewarm. You remember that? They thought they were rich and increased with goods and had need of nothing. God said they were poor, miserable, blind, and naked. They were lukewarm. What does that mean? Do you know we like either things hot or cold, right? I mean, we either like cold tea, hot coffee. Now, I'm just going to speak for myself. I don't like hot tea. I don't. I like cold tea. I like iced tea. Now, you may like hot tea. I'm not picking on you. I just like cold tea. I don't like hot tea. Then again, I don't like cold coffee. (laughs) I like hot coffee. I got to amen for that. (laughs) I like hot coffee. You know, I I never have gotten this point of going to the store and getting coffee with ice in it. Have you ever went to Starbucks and they got the coffee with ice? I never have got that point. I, I I just don't get it. If you like it, God bless you. I like cold tea. I like hot coffee. Well, you got one that's cold and one that's hot. Not lukewarm. Now, how many of you like lukewarm tea and lukewarm coffee? That's neither being hot nor cold. You know what this is teaching us? There's some things the church, we, the children of God, should be hot toward. We should be zealous toward the truth of God. We should be zealous toward the church. We should be zealous for God's truth. We should be hot, but there's some things we should be cold toward, and that's sin and wickedness. We should be cold toward that, not welcoming of it in our home, in our life, and at church. Ye that love the Lord hate evil. Turn with me to John chapter 14 and verse 21. The Gospel, John chapter 14, verse 21. Jesus said, He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him, and I will manifest myself to him. Verse 23, if a man love me, he will keep my, my words. We should hate evil, but we should love the commandments of God. If you love God, if you love me, Jesus said, He that hath my commandments and keepeth them. What does that say? If we love God, we should live an obedient life. That's how we show we love God. By living in obedience to his commandments. By letting our light so shine. By doing what God says. If we love God, we believe God loved us. We should hate evil, but love God's commandments. Live a life of obedience. You remember there in John chapter 2? At the feast there at Canaan Galilee at that wedding. Mary looked at him and said, Whatsoever he saith you, do it. 
wow, that's, that's enough right there. Somebody said, well, why should I do what God said? He said, do it. That's enough. If we love God, we should live an obedient life. If we love God, we should love His children. How many times have I quoted this text here in John chapter 13 in the last few weeks? If you turn with me to John chapter 13 and verse 35, Jesus said this at the Passover communion table. He said, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples. If you have love one to another. If God has so loved us, John said in verse 11, we ought to love one another. Have you ever heard people say, you know, that word ought is just kind of a good idea? You know, like there in John 13 where it says, if Jesus said, if I have washed your feet, you ought to wash one another's feet. Well, Jesus just saying that's a good idea. <laughs> it's just a good idea. What about there in Ephesians chapter 5? When it says husbands ought to also love their own wives, that's just a good idea, right? See how that works out for you, dear brothers, on a day like today. Well, the Bible just says it's just a good idea that I love my own wife. No, soon we ought to do it. We ought to wash one another's feet. We ought to love one another. If God has loved us, we ought to love one another. And by this shall all men know that you're my disciples. That you have love to one another. Do you realize I can have love for someone and them not know it? I cannot have love to them unless they know it. Sister Jennifer is here this morning. I'm going to tell you, before I told her I loved her, I loved Sister Jennifer. You may not believe this. You know, <laughs> this week I, I got me some new earbuds. And what I'm so amazed at is, you know, years ago when they made that law in Georgia about talking on your phone in your car, I, I went to the store and I bought some earbuds. And I, I mean, I paid an unbelievable amount of money for them. I bought some this week for $20. <laughs> Whew, how things got cheap. Life is grand. So I was trying out those earbuds and Jennifer reminded me of how we used to talk to one another when we dated. I'd call Jennifer up and I'd keep her on the phone for sometimes four or five hours. Just, I just wanted to hear her talk. I just liked to listen to her voice. Just, just talk to me. I loved her. But I had a love for her. But she'd never heard me say it. But one day I stepped out and I told her, I love you, honey. At that point I had love to her. She knew it. If we love God, we show our love for God by having love to one another. But not only should we have love to one another, we should live our life serving the children of God. You remember there in John chapter 21 when Jesus said, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me, Peter? You know I love you, Lord. Well, that's good. That's not what he said. If you love me, he said, feed my sheep, feed my lambs. If you love me, serve the children of God. If we love God, we should show our love to the children of God. We should also be in service to the children of God. Our lives should be lived putting God first, others second, and ourselves last. You know a miserable life? You know what a miserable life is? Put yourself first. It's a miserable life. You'll never make yourself happy. I promise you. That's not going to happen. You'll never make yourself, no matter what you do, there'll always be something else you want to do. No matter what you have, there'll be always be something else you want. But if you want happiness in life, true happiness and peace, happiness is found putting God first, others second, and yourself last. Amen. 
Jesus said, do you love me, Peter? John 21, feed my sheep. Turn with me to, to Psalms chapter 26, another way that we show forth our love for God. Verse 8. I read this psalm the other night with Jennifer and the kids. David said, Lord, I have, I have loved the habitation of thy house and the place where thine honor dwelleth. I love God. Show me you love God. Love his house. Love his church. You know, I got this little house down here on Sincerity Road. Don't tell me you love me and show disrespect to me by throwing rocks in the windows of my house. Don't tell me that. That's, that's not right. What work? If you love me, you're going to respect my house. If we love God and we want the world to know we love God, we should respect his house. His house. I love God. I love his church. I love his people. I believe this is the place where God dwells. I believe God is everywhere present, nowhere absent. And I can talk to him anytime. But there's a specific place that I come on Sunday morning to spend time with my God. Why, this is his house. And he built his house. And you might say, Brother Ronnie, we built this building. This building houses the house of God. The church is the people in the house. The lively stones. This is his House And I show my love for God by having respect and love for his house. Let's go a little further. Let's go to Psalms chapter 119. Psalms 119 has 176 verses. It's an acrostic psalm. What, what does that mean, Brother Ronnie? It's, it's like alphabetic. Have you ever heard anybody saying... A is for apple, B is for boy, C is for cat. What David is going through here is the Hebrew alphabet and using all those letters to declare his respect for God's word. Verse 140 of Psalms 119. David said, Thy word is very pure, therefore thy servant loveth it. Do we love God? We should love his word. I'm going to tell you, there's just no book in the world like this book. This book is the very breath of God given to man. Paul said all scripture is given by inspiration of God, the very breath of God. The word perspiration means to breathe out, respiration in and out, inspiration means to breathe into. It's the very breath of God. I show the world I love God because I love his word. I love his word. Do we love his word? If we love his word, we're just showing forth that we, we love God. Lastly, we, the children of God, show forth our love for God by loving God's mercy. Do you remember there in the book of Micah, chapter 6 and verse 8? Here, old man, what does God require of thee? You know, concerning our eternal home, Jesus met all the requirements. What does God require of us as his children? But to do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with thy God.
What does that mean, Brother Ronnie? Go to Deuteronomy chapter 10 and verse 12. He'll give you some commentary concerning that. Moses spoke. What does it mean to do justly? It means fear God and walk in all his ways. What does it mean to walk humbly with our God? It means to serve the Lord with all your heart and soul and mind. What does it mean to love mercy? It means to love God. That's what it means, love and mercy. We should love mercy. We should love opportunities to show mercy on our brothers and sisters, remembering, loving God, the mercy he has had for us. You know the reason we should be forgiving people? Remembering God forgive us. Remember Jesus told the parable about the one that owed 10,000 talents? He had nothing to pay. He was forgiven. The one that owed 100 pence, he wouldn't forgive that. Oh, it angered, it angered his master. You know, concerning offense between me and my brothers and sisters, it pales in comparison. It's nothing. When you compare it to the offense that I, my offense toward the Lord, and God has forgiven me of my sin in the Lord Jesus Christ. If God has had mercy on us, mercy on me, surely I can love mercy and have mercy for my brothers and sisters in this world. Do we love God? We only love him because he first loved us. Do you want people to know that you love God? Follow the commandments of this book. And may God give us more grace. What does that mean, God gives more grace in a temporal context? Doesn't need to be any more eternal grace. But I need more temporal grace in my life that I can live in such a way to glorify the one that loved me before the world began. May God richly bless us our prayer. If there's anyone here this morning who'd like to come forward now,